Welcome to the Space Hour, a show to highlight the people in the aerospace industry behind the newest technologies used for exploration and national security. Here's your host, Eric White. Good afternoon. Thank you for joining us on today's episode of the Space Hour. I'm your host, Eric White. For this week, we'll be airing a panel that I hosted recently for AFCEA Nova's Space Force IT Day earlier this month. My panel was on the topic of the state of the space industrial base. My guests included Brigadier General Stephen Buto, the Space Portfolio Director of the Defense Innovation Unit, Major Adam Burnetta, Program Manager of the Space Enterprise Consortium for the U.S. Space Force, and Hoyt Davidson, Founder and Managing Partner of Near Earth LLC. We'll start with my opening comments. So let me unfairly uh, summarize what you just heard General Tom and talk about. Uh, space IT is important, right? <laughs> we can all agree on that now. Um, I know that, Al, you asked me not to keep belittling that point, uh, as you're going to hear that a lot today. But perks of running uh, the first panel and the first ever event of this kind, I think we're allowed to kind of start out there. Um, its role in national security, space tech that is, and the US deterrence and warfighting advantage has only become more critical. And that being said, perhaps nowhere else in the defense field are innovation and investment more important. That means that federal space agencies are going to need help in creating a thriving environment. However, that may not be happening as much as possible as it could be. A recent overview on the state of the space industrial base from the Atlantic Council found that while certain commercial aspects of the industrial base are strong, more needs to be done to highlight space as a national priority. But like the old saying goes, where there's money, there's a way. And that same report found a, nearly, found a total of nearly $200 billion worth of new investment has been added to the commercial space industry, with nearly $15 billion alone in 2021. So our first guest I'd like to introduce to you virtually. He is, going to, he is one of the authors of the report I just referenced, and is currently the director of the space portfolio at the Defense Innovation Unit, Brigadier General Stephen Buto. General. If you could start by telling us what I left out of that very comprehensive report and some of your major takeaways from it and what you see as the state of the space industrial base. The report that I, I authored with, uh, with members of the Space Force, AFRL, and our team at DIU uh, was, a, was a government report, but the conclusions were really the same. And uh, just to paraphrase, uh, you know, the uh, in our report, we, we assess the space industrial base to be tactically strong, but, but uh, strategically fragile. So the, what does that mean? Well, U.S. innovation and investment are really at an all-time high for space. Uh, if you look at the global space industry today, Space Foundation estimates it to be about $450 billion uh, strong. Uh, and that's 50% that's, uh, more or greater than it was just 10 years ago. So very rapid growth. We haven't seen growth like this in an area since really the emergence of the internet. Um, but, uh, but all this growth and investment is not sustainable without national strategic direction, uh, meaningful commercial contract opportunities going to the companies can solve tough problems, um, uh, if not just for defense, but for the intelligence for NASA all the space users uh, across our government enterprise. And, uh, and also making sure that we're putting focused attention on uh, our, a very fragile domestic supply chain. We don't have the depth of manufacturing and supply uh, resources that we once had. And, uh, and this is very uh, prevalent, especially in, in aerospace. So in order to do all this, we really have to do 
things. And, you know, um, one of those things, what we have to do is we, we have to make those funding priorities. Uh, you know, we're at a tipping point right now with the, uh, with the commercial space economy. It's just about to, to take off. Uh, and so most of the um, commercial interests that are, um, that are doing great stuff, they're going to be dependent on, on getting uh, significant business from, from the government in terms of meeting the needs of the Space Force, NASA, uh, the intelligence agency, in the terms that, uh, that, uh, that General Thompson just talked about, you know, competitively bid, and then the government needs to buy what it can and only build what it must. Um, that's the way that we'll stay tightly coupled to the state of technology going forward and be able to put um, other dollars, our national security dollars, on those things that are not inherently commercial. Thank you, General. Our next guest is Major Adam Bernetta. He is the space program manager of the Space Enterprise Consortium, particularly focused on OTAs. So if you're a non-traditional space vendor, you probably want or have him already in your Rolodex. Major, what are you seeing on your side of things? So one of the things that we notice uh, through the Space Enterprise Consortium, again, we do a lot of prototyping OTAs. And so if you were to ask me how is the state of the industrial base, I would say it's strong. Because one of the things that we have noticed across the board, both hardware, software, classified projects, less classified projects, is that the number of proposals we are receiving from industry outdoes the expectations of all the program teams that use the spec program, the spec OTA, to solicit their requirement. So these proposals are coming from a wide range of companies, sorry, all across the country, uh, companies that have not worked with the government before. And these teams are receiving these proposals, and they're all evaluated as, well, not every proposal, obviously, is evaluated as technically acceptable. But the broad swath of them is evaluated as technically acceptable, and it surprises every team. So I think the technical base for the space industry in the startup world is very strong. Um, the financial side of things, we did a lot of engagement with our membership through the COVID pandemic, um, through 2020 and early 2021, uh, where we reached out to them and, and kind of looked into how they were doing, how they were handling it, what was their effect of their schedule, uh, what their effects on their finances were, on their workforce. And we saw that the industry was, was pretty robust and pretty able to, uh, you know, come to the blows with COVID. Of course, there were uh, issues, right? Schedule delay was probably the big one. Supply chain, of course, was a huge, uh, a huge centerpiece for one of our um, surveys that we sent out to membership. And there's a lot we could talk about with supply chain. And, and we're hoping to help the government side of the house understand supply chain constraints for companies going forward. We've got a tool that we're going to be rolling out here relatively soon. So overall, strong industry. Of course, uh, as General Buteau had mentioned, there is some fragility in the supply chain, I think, is probably the biggest part of that. Thank you. And we have someone who can tell us a bit more about where some of the more focused investments are going. Uh, Hoyt Davison is the founder and managing partner of Near Earth LLC. It's an investment banking boutique that focuses on commercial space. Uh, before I get you to start, I want to uh, encourage you to please get your questions in, um, as I have plenty, but this is all about you. You folks pay, paid to be here, so by all means, get your questions in to these three gentlemen to answer, and we can have ourselves a fascinating panel here. Hoyt, let me ask you, uh, what are some of the um, larger companies looking for uh, when buying into the commercial space industry, and what have you seen as you've brokered those deals? I think traditionally, uh, the reasons have been uh, a large aerospace prime, for instance, trying to acquire uh, a new technology, 
sometime a company that's built a new niche for a new application that's important to a government customer, and it's easier for them to acquire that than to try to build it themselves. That reason has always been there. It's still an important reason today, uh, sort of buying teams and technology. Uh, so that's you know, still a big part uh, of, of what we do. Um, but I think what I've seen change in the last couple of years is rather than um, first of all, I should step back and say, my company covers what's called the lower middle market. Uh, the middle market are companies that are worth 10 million to a billion, and the lower middle market is sort of 10 million to two or 300 million. So smaller companies. But that's where a lot of the innovation is occurring, a lot of the uh, agile uh, teams um, creating new niches uh, that are exciting to these larger corporations and, and, and the buyers. So that's where we live and, and breathe. Uh, that's who we serve. Um, so it used to be, you know, you would sell these companies to the aerospace primes and they'd buy 10 or 15 a year. And there was maybe a dozen uh, or less private equity firms that had a real focus on, on the aerospace and defense market. And primarily because of the defense contracting side as opposed to the commercial space side. Today, uh, we have more than 50 private equity firms in our database and every month we get a new uh, outreach from, from a new pri private equity firm saying, we just raised a fund, space is gonna be a new coverage area for us, we think it's exciting, um, so that's building. But I think even more than, um, than the increase in, in appetite from those two traditional buyers, there's a whole new class of buyers that didn't exist even two or three years ago. Uh, and that's um, some of the commercial space companies that have grown up to be of a size that they're now acquiring companies. Uh, we have, I think 12 or 13 of these that have gone public through a, a special purpose acquisition corp transaction become a space back. Um, now a lot of them have seen their stock prices really get hit uh, uh, hard in the last couple of months, but they have cash, they have a public security to acquire companies, they're actively looking for things to help them meet their very high growth expectations they've given to shareholders. So you have all of these new buyers out there uh, plus you have a lot of just companies that have decided aggregating uh, these lower middle market companies into a bigger mid-sized firm is a great thing to do. And there's a lot of those out there and they're funded. So when we go to market now, we're seeing a different range of, of, of competition for these uh, small companies than we ever saw before. It's, it's great for us, it's quite exciting, but that's a big trend we've seen. Thank you. Time for our first break. We'll have more from my recent panel on the state of the space industrial base at FCA Nova's Space Force IT Day. This is the Space Hour on the Federal News Network. I'm Eric White. Welcome back to the Space Hour. Here on Federal News Network, I'm Eric White. We continue with my panel from the recent FCA Nova Space Force IT Day. My guests included Brigadier General Stephen Butto, the Space Portfolio Director of the Defense Innovation Unit, Major Adam Burnetta, Program Manager of the Space Enterprise Consortium for the U.S. Space Force, and Hoyt Davidson, Founder and Managing Partner of Near Earth LLC. I was going to go into my first question, but uh, some questions came in that is right in line with that, and we can obviously use yours. Um, we got a question for you, General Buteau, but I also would like to bring you in here. Uh, what is the best way for industry to engage with DIU? I would also like to incorporate that into how do we keep the lines of communication between industry and the Space Force as well. Um, but General, you can go first. 
I'm glad somebody asked this question because uh, innovation is a team sport <laughs> in, in DOD. Let me just explain, right? So the uh, 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 FWorks, actually SpaceWorks is not represented here today, but uh, all of us work very closely together. So, uh, and we're, we're purpose-built to do different things. So the way I, I would look at it is um, SpaceWorks is, is gonna be a great uh, point of entry uh, and so that you know, it's how the Space Force will do discovery, uh, you, you know, and find out about your ideas. You you can you can make an unsolicited um, proposal to the to SpaceWorks and tell them about what you're doing and how you're doing it. And um, and th their their fuel for the fire is SBIR, Small Business Innovative Research, and STTR uh, grants. So that so it's a very easy to to um, to bring a good idea forward and, and get discovered and work with, with SpaceWorks. Then um, and a lot of the companies, I, I, I'm just at the last day of the uh, small sat uh, symposium out here in, in Silicon Valley, uh, where the sun hasn't come up yet, by the way. <laughs> so the, the uh, uh, and then there's a lot of uh, component and supply chain vendors that are there. And, um, you know, in, in, in the warfighting business, we don't buy parts, we buy systems. So many of those people, other innovators, you know, that come to, to us or they graduate out of SpaceWorks, they're primed to go into the Space Enterprise Consortium, which you'll hear more about in a little bit. DIU is a little bit different. So for DIU is, we don't, we're not, we're not a requirements-based acquisition thing. And actually what we only do is prototyping, but, we get a tough problem like hybrid space architecture. And what we do is we put the problem out to industry, big and small. And then we, and we leverage uh, companies that are usually um, financially backed by institutions like Quits or, and others. Uh, you know, they've got a significant commercial market presence. They've just never worked with DOD before. So we're, we're a, an intermediary to help bring in uh, non-traditional and, um, and that can be all the way up to corporate uh, type of entities to help solve new emerging problems in DOD. Major Brunetta, he seemed to uh, be referencing you there. Yes, so uh, there's, there's the SPEC program and there's broader Space Force engagement, right? Um, on the latter, there are a plethora of industry days coming down the pipeline for Space Systems Command. And I would encourage you to not only look to messaging from SSC for those events, but to attend them. I think that they're they're definitely going to be pursuing a more targeted and deliberate outreach uh, coming this year. For us in the SPEC program specifically, we have a lot of ways to engage. So we do business to business uh, kind of development uh, webinars, so to speak. Sometimes they're moving back into person right now, uh, so in-person events. And we have our quarterly virtual webinars, our annual general membership meeting, and of course our program specific uh, we call them project talks events now. They used to be called proposers conferences. And they are an opportunity for the program teams to talk to industry about their requirement. Uh, we've built those uh, industry engagement events into their acquisition strategies. So teams will be addressing them and they will be uh, either holding them, hopefully a little bit left of center and doing it earlier, but they will also obviously be doing them as the proposal is ready for solicitation as well. So make sure that you're attending keep the lines of communication going. I get a lot of emails, so if you email me personally and I don't respond, email me again. Um, but just don't give up. If it seems like there's a, a breakdown in communication, 
don't be afraid to pester us about it. That's what I would say is the biggest recommendation. Yeah, the uh, industry is full of startups. Um, I, I guess a follow-up question to that would be, you know, are, you're, obviously you want to pay attention to everybody because that's a lot of where the innovation lies. Um, how do you maintain a balance between you know, both those routes of big and little companies and what you might be able to add in a little bit of what you're hearing from your clients as well. <laughs> so for my, my balance is that I just answer everybody. Uh, <laughs> and so it's, uh, I, don't, I don't have any kind of preferential treatment towards larges or, not, or smalls and non-traditionals or traditionals. Um, I, and when we conduct our outreach, so to give an example of when we do our, our COVID surveys, we ensure that we have representation across both large, small, traditional, non-traditional, all four facets, right? Um, so we, do, we are deliberately targeting them, but in terms of how I balance my kind of engagements when I receive stuff, I just I answer everybody. Mm -hmm. Hoyt, <laughs> you're talking yeah. to the folks who are reaching out to them. No, I, I, I really uh, appreciate everything that's being done now, and, and it's had a huge impact, whether it's SPAC or DIU or um, uh, AFWorks or uh, you know, DOD in general. Um, not only is, is a lot of... Uh, R&D getting funded, and the government's been pretty good about supporting early stage R&D, but now we're seeing the prototyping uh, getting funded. We're seeing companies uh, bridge that you know, chasm of, of death between low TRL levels to an actual commercial product. So we're seeing funding to get these companies to survive and, and get a product in, into the market. Uh, that's that's kind of new and, and, and very exciting. Um, but more importantly than, than the funding, um, which is great to have, particularly when it's non-dilutive. Uh, the, the risk that the, the investors really focus on more than uh, the technology or even funding is the market risk. And there's always been a fear that you'll spend a billion dollars, you'll build this Leo constellation, and there won't be any customers there. The government's now stepping in and saying, we're going to be a customer, and we're going to be a big customer, and we need it now, and uh, we're reliable. You know, the government's still a pretty good credit rating. Uh, so that market building has probably been more important than anything in, in terms of attracting capital and, and building this small side ecosystem, for instance. So uh, I think that's, you can't underestimate the importance of that in the last few years. You're listening to my recent AFCEA Nova panel on the state of the space industrial base. We'll have more from the event after another quick break. This is the Space Hour on Federal News Network. I'm Eric White. Welcome back to the Space Hour here on Federal News Network. I'm Eric White. We continue with a recent panel I hosted this month at an FCA Nova event on the topic of the state of the space industrial base. Yeah, it didn't take long for the Valley of Death to be referenced. And we have a specific question for Major Bonetta. Are you experiencing the traditional Valley of Death moving from prototypes to production with spec projects? And how do you mitigate it? So this is, of course, a question that uh, you expect to get in some capacity. Um, on the spec OTA, we really haven't seen problems with the value of death from prototype production yet because most of our awarded projects are still being developed as a prototype. I will say that we've had our first program team reach out to us to talk about follow-on production, and follow-on production for us would be uh, moving it to a standalone OTA uh, outside of the Space Enterprise Consortium's kind of purview, so we wouldn't be involved in the program anymore. But it is that transition from it being a prototype in development to an operational capability that's in production. Uh, I think for us, the, the value of death that I see more often is from SIBRS to prototyping. So the R&D phase 
to prototyping. I see that kind of value of death regularly because I have companies that come to me and they'll say, hey, we're doing Sivers awards. We know that the government's interested in this. Where's the prototyping line built for this? Is there a prototyping requirement coming down for this capability that could use this technology? And to be honest, we don't do a great job of crossing those wires and making sure that uh, that Sibber's investment is lined up with a prototyping budget or prototyping plan of action. Um, and so it's something we're aware of, something I'm aware of. It's on my list of ways to try to rectify, but we don't have a good solution for it at this time. Um, uh, but yeah, for, for the value death to production, again, we're just we're too early on in the prototyping phase. We've only had our first prototype projects award, awarded in 2018, so we're still most of them in development. Mm -hmm. General Buto, the Valley of Death was mentioned as one of the main issues in that report that I referenced that you were an author on. Uh, what are your thoughts on what's being done? And maybe you can tell us a little bit about how DIU is trying to navigate through it. It's real uh, and mm -hmm. uh, it's not necessary. I'm, there's a few factors you have to be able to uh, address. Some of them we can't even begin to address in the department. Uh, I'll start with a big, uh, the biggest one that most people in the room are familiar with, which is a continuing resolution, right? So we're, we have no budget. We're almost six months into, uh, actually more than four months into the new year. And, uh, and this is really problematic. Uh, and we're gonna focus on this a lot in, uh, in our upcoming report for 2022. But the, um, uh, we, the, the DOD basically programs and budgets and buys things like it was 1962, not, not, not like it's uh, you know, the 21st century. So the most pressing needs that uh, General Thompson talked about earlier, the earliest money we'll get on some of those top priorities is 2023, 2024, and, and beyond just because of the, the budgeting cycles. So that's, that's one thing. Um, companies, whether they're working with DIU, SPEC, or, or, or any other entity in, in the Space Force, um, once if they get prototype success, we're basically out of pause in, until those procurement dollars become available. Um, that's one challenge. Another challenge is the availability. You know, um, we all prototype. Well, prototyping is an activity where you need access to research development, test and evaluation dollars. And those dollars are very small. Space Force does not get an equal share with the other services. And so, uh, so uh, we highlighted that in our report about, you know, we need to level the playing field, certainly uh, for the importance of space in uh, fighting, uh, joint war fighting constructs for the, for the 21st century. That's, that's a real key thing. And then the last one, which, you know, I, I, you know, I, I can say this because uh, I'm not in uniform today, but we have, we have a, um, a, a procurement culture, which, which we have to, which we have to move on from. So, um, most of the, the best technologies that we use in the department do not derive from requirements, right? So uh, GPS is a great example of that. So we need, we need more flexibility in how we procure things based on objectives rather than uh, requirements. That would allow us to bring things in faster and, and, um, and uh, make use of them. Uh, if we bring them in as services, you heard uh, General Thompson talk about that. Uh, whether it's launch, uh, data, uh, or or servicing uh, on orbit systems, services contracts are the way the future. But not most of our contracting people don't know how to write services contracts. So there's a, there's a few things in there. I could go on all day about the value death, but it is real, and um, and we're but we're tackling it all together. 
Thanks for that. Yeah, since General Thompson mentioned that you know software is kind of where the <clears throat> focus of the Space Force now is going, I'd like to ask a follow-on question to you both about the prototyping phase of software as opposed to hardware, which is you know more the famous stuff of you know test flights and whatnot. What is different, I guess, about the software prototyping stage when it comes to working with the Space Force? Well, so in my perception of uh, prototyping requirements, I've been saying this for a couple of years, we actually are seeing the preponderance of them be software requirements. So uh, good news probably for this audience, um, bad news for certain members of the consortium that are eager for hardware requirements to come down, we do a lot of software prototyping in spec. Uh, and what I notice is a huge difference between the teams that come to us with software versus hardware requirements. The software development culture in the Space Force and the Air Force seems to be a lot more open to engaging left of the requirement being fully defined. So the teams that come to us with software requirements, they're eager to get out there, they're eager to see what's being going on in, on the commercial side of things and what side of uh, capabilities you guys are developing in industry. And they take that information and kind of refine their project or they develop a requirement with the mindset of doing kind of agile software development and then adjusting, uh, adjusting their product based on what the development uh, nets and, and returns. So I think software, not to downplay the hardware side of things, but I think software is a little closer to what we want. Uh, I think we're doing a better job at it in terms of writing requirements and engaging with industry. General Buto, is that the case with DIU as well? I agree. I, I think there's a few other points. One, from a commercial standpoint, um, software is a lot easier to access. Uh, you know, the uh, venture ecosystem preferentially likes to put money into software companies because they you get a higher rate of return. Uh, the challenge for us, uh, this, you know, I love it, the fact that the, that the uh, Space Force is, is starting as a, you know, with a digital emphasis uh, across the board. Um, you know, I'm, I'm from the old, old school Air Force and uh, you know, we, we don't have the hardware <laughs> to, to run most of the advanced software capabilities that are available today. I mean, DOD just discovered the cloud and we have, still haven't fully implemented it, right? Uh, another challenge is um, proprietary versus open architectures. So the, uh, if you want to use the best cybersecurity tools today, you have to have the architectures that, that can support that. And uh, the nice thing is, is that uh, this is an area where, where SPEC is doing a great job because, um, because in that consortium model, uh, they, have, they have to create a level playing field so all, all companies can contribute to, to a, a, like a platform type envir environment. Uh, going into the future, um, and as you'll see, uh, you know, the other thing. Well, there's uh, space doesn't have a lot of established infrastructure, so there's no space internet today, right? So the so there's a there's a clean slate opportunity to uh, take take and implement ideas that will um, allow the space force to leverage uh, commercial and um, and. Uh, uh, you know, government bespoke uh, type of software capabilities going into the future. Wait, I'm going to ask you to add on to that, but before I do, I just want to ask everybody to, or continue to ask you to get your questions in. I will be asking them, I promise. My curiosities will be yeah. settled here shortly, but Hoyt, uh, sure. what are, about the prototyping process of innovative software companies? What have you heard? Uh, this, the whole software side of this business is kind of new for us. I mean, most of the people who needed to raise capital needed it because uh, they're, they're funding assets or they're you know, you know, manufacturing, building hardware. And a lot of the software companies didn't need to raise a lot of capital. That's changing. I think for the first time this year, 
probably half of our forward-looking deal funnel involves software companies, which is, again, totally new for us. Um, and it's not kind of the traditional software business where it's uh, contract software, where you're building a piece of software for a government customer or, or for a prime, and it's a low-margin business without scalability. It's, it's the kind of exciting software uh, uh, enterprises that the venture capital firms want to back. It has high margins, a lot of scalability. And it's everything from doing AI and machine learning, uh, sometimes uh, on the payload for remote sensing, to uh, new ways to fly uh, Leo constellations, you know, autonomously, uh, you know, autonomous rendezvous and docking. It's, it's really cutting edge sort of software development. Uh, but again, that's very new for us in terms of our, our client base, but it's, it's exciting. This is the Space Hour on Federal News Network. We'll have more of our coverage of a recent panel event at FCA Nova Space Force IT Day after one more break. I'm Eric White. Welcome back to the Space Hour. I'm your host, Eric White, with more from my recent panel at FCA Nova Space Force IT Day on the topic of the state of the space industrial base. All right, we'll go to another question. Is the Space Enterprise Consortium working with or learning from other DOD consortiums, such as the Navy's Information Warfare Consortium? Absolutely. So when I first uh, took over the Space Enterprise Consortium, there was a pretty sizable push out of uh, one of the other consortium OTAs, program managers, to establish a forum for us to all kind of reach out to each other. He did a lot of the groundwork to make sure that we all had each other's uh, contact information in our Rolodex. And when it came time for just about anything to do with uh, interfacing with the Pentagon for uh, you know, ceiling concerns or re reporting concerns, like how we report up our, our status of our programs, or uh, you know, re the solicitation for the second uh, iteration of the Space Enterprise Consortium, there's a lot of crosstalk that we had, what's worked, what hasn't worked, what would you improve? Um, and we get those questions from them as well. So there's tons of crosstalk right now that's taking place among the OTA program management offices. General Buto, General Thompson mentioned uh, the help that the Space Force is receiving um, just from an operational standpoint with the Air Force. I'm curious if DIU has any other similar relationships with uh, other agencies that you've worked with. Sure. Well, uh, DIU is an OSD level function. We, we just like DARPA and the current or space development agency is also a sister organization. Uh, we're part of the research and engineering enterprise. And, uh, and the benefit of that is we reach all across DOD. So we, we're doing space projects, not just with the, with the uh, Space Force, but with the Army, the Navy, um, the fourth estate, you know, the, uh, uh, and we, we have uh, interagency agreements with NASA, we can work with, uh, uh, we can actually award contracts to foreign companies. Uh, we've done that. Uh, so uh, so uh, the nice thing is, like I said earlier, uh, innovation is a team sport. And uh, the most important thing, uh, what we're passionate about is that uh, we don't want to take commercial companies and redefine their business plan. Uh, that didn't work out so well uh, in places like Silicon Valley. So, so uh, our, our, our challenge uh, is to try to find innovative ways so that we can take commercial solutions offered as is and then bring them into our systems and architectures. If we do that, then we don't have to carry the burden of that recurring 
research and development to to keep those systems um, you know improving for the future. So it's but but that, you know there's some risk with that too. So we're going through a lot of growing pains in that regard. But but I, I, I uh, we're all pretty bullish for the future. Yeah, I'm curious. What when we talk about meaningful contracts, uh, what does that mean to you, General Buto? Mm. Oh, I'll tell you exactly what it is. And it's not not me. This is what you know. The um, so I have uh, uh, through DIU for space. We have roughly about 250 million dollars in active contracts, and there's there's more than uh, 10 billion dollars of private investment in the companies. Uh, that that we're that we're we're using and accessing. Um, if those if the, when those prototype activities end and we have a value of death, if those commercial solutions don't transition uh, in, into 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 use by uh, whoever in DoD, uh, then um, then that's not a good thing, right? So the um, we, we we have some good uh, success stories though. Uh, one of the best ones. Um, at a program that the uh, rocket launch uh, space program RSLP uh, worked on with the DoD space test program and DIU is uh, we followed NASA's uh, BCLS program for small launchers in 2017 and started awarding contracts to uh, launch providers like Rocket Lab, Virgin Orbit, uh, you know uh, Astra, and, and many more. And so those programs, those the company relationships are dealt with through through DoD space test program and RSLP, but all the, the, the contracts were all done through DIU's OT. Uh, and our, just because other transactions is an authority, it's not a thing, right? So the, our, our OT looks like a commercial contract that's very flexible and, uh, and can be modified readily. So all the terms are negotiable. So, the, uh, so the, for those companies, uh, they, they do agile development, they pivot, uh, but more, most importantly, is once they've once they've prototyped and proven a, a solution, now they're they've graduated onto the uh, uh, orbital um, service, uh, see, orbital space uh, program OSP uh, four contract, which is basically a billion dollar IDIQ, so that the space force can just buy uh, commercial launch services from those companies. So launch has been a, a really good uh, area; it's one of the biggest programs that we've all done together, and, and we. Recent, most recently added uh, relativity and ABL space systems to that contract. And, and, there, and there's others who are in the pipeline uh, doing a great job. Major Bonetta, what are you looking for in companies when you're trying to create those meaningful relationships as he just laid out? So uh, the question earlier was uh, a meaningful contract. I don't say that you know contracts are meaningful or unmeaningful from our standpoint. Absolutely. However, there, there are certain projects, he, he mentioned success stories, right? I think it's important to highlight certain success stories. Um, to use an example, we had an AFRL project office that came to us, Air Force Research Laboratory. They came to us with a, a specific budget and uh, solicited out for uh, proposals. And they couldn't decide between two different proposals as to what they wanted to go forward with on this project. So they went back, found more money, and awarded two of them. Uh, so that's a, that's a meaningful contract in the sense that it's a success story because it's showing that uh, in, this, in this particular project was actually older technology trying to be used in a new way. Uh, it shows that industry out there is strong, robust, innovative in a way that government isn't necessarily fully aware of when they go out with their solicitation. So those are great interactions with industry, to use that, that phrasing. 
Um, what we look for, again, I guess I will harken back to my statements about uh, proactive engagement from both industry to us and us to industry, right? We're, we're trying to make sure that we're out there talking to you guys. And by all means, please talk to us as well. Yeah, one of the questions up on the board is what's the best way to get in contact with you yeah. and your group? <laughs> yes. So if you uh, space-enterprise.org, there's going to be a contact us link. If you click that, the email will go to an org box, and then they will put you in contact with me. Um, I usually give out my, my personal email and things like this, but I don't know where all the people are listening in on this, so uh, they'll put you in touch with me. And Hoyt, I'm curious on the investment side, where are the dollars taking that, that bet on you know, what is going to be a successful project and what's not? Well, for the last three years, it's mostly been about the small sat ecosystem um, and building that, and, and now we're starting to get into the deployment stage. Um, so it's grown from sort of the CubeSats and NanoSats and academia and whatever to um, 50, 150, 500 kilogram satellites and in, in, you know, initial deployments. Uh, Bryce Tech reported this week that uh, in 2021, there were 80 launches that included small sat deployments and that they uh, together represented 40% of all the uh, world's up mass into space. That's not a majority yet, but 43% is pretty high. And what's remarkable is that number was 7.4 times more up mass than two years earlier in 2019. That's, you know, Moore's Law is you double every two years. That's like quintupling every two years. So the, the small set ecosystem has is, is, is gotten a lot of funding and is, it's still at the early stages. You know, they're talking about hundreds of thousands of satellites being deployed and, and we're still in the hundreds, but uh, that's very exciting. Uh, what I think is, is even newer is, and I think you know, Artemis helped create this, is the market space is no longer just, just Earth orbit and just things in, in Earth orbit providing services to the surface, whether to warfighters or to consumers or corporations. That's been the business since Sputnik, right? Um, now the marketplace is, is all the way to cislunar, so it's a much bigger sandbox to play in. And now we're seeing more and more business plans that aren't about providing services to people on the Earth, it's providing services to other people in space. You know, life, life extensions, uh, space logistics, space manufacturing, space tourism, orbital debris, removal, uh, every, I mean, just a long stream of things. So that's new and exciting and, and getting uh, some serious funding now. I think that makes a great segue into a question that has come in for uh, Brigadier General Buteau. It was recently reported that DIU is looking for ways to connect military satellites to commercial ones to create a hybrid architecture. Um, can you tell us anything about that project? Sure. Well, that's actually uh, that's that's one of the uh, Space Force priorities, and uh, and exactly. So right now, most of the, most of the systems, the proprietary systems that we use, um, are purpose built. And they weren't really designed to to exchange information. The Department of Defense has a larger program called JADC2. So, uh, with the idea that we have a in a joint domain that we have a command control network that can where information can flow as fluidly uh, as what we're doing right now uh, through Zoom, my ability to to virtually uh, participate in this workshop today. Um, we have disparate hardware machines, but there's standards, right, and protocols, and that's how. That's just how the internet works. So uh, we need that kind of architecture in space. Uh, just as Hoyt mentioned, growing um, uh, number of, of remote sensing satellites from the commercial sector in the future 
uh, we estimate there'll be a, a thousand commercial sensors for every one government sensor probably by the end of this decade. And how do we leverage all that in, in, in for battle space awareness? Well, we have, we have to, we have to build, basically build an internet of things in space. Um, and that exceeds the capacity of uh, most of the security arrangements that we do today with encryption and, and, and protecting, you know, the, uh, the network from the periphery. So the, so uh, uh, the good news is, um, you know, there's a, you heard about force design earlier. So there's this organization called the uh, SWAC and, um, but, and they're doing, they're looking at space war fighting and they are gonna evaluate commercial solutions, government solutions and, uh, and force design and establish requirements for things based on what's readily available in the commercial sector and then bringing in government integrators and, and capabilities to, um, to bring it all together. It's really exciting. Uh, and um, right now, you know, it's, uh, this is the first year that there's uh, congressional money uh, to make that program go. And, uh, and we hope to continue going into FY22 and, and moving on forward. But that AFRL uh, and, and, um, and the Space Force are really driving the, t the key technologies behind that. Major Burnetta, there's plenty of room for partnerships, whether it's with other agencies or with uh, the commercial side of things. Are there programs similar to that where you're maybe more than just a, a buyer from a commercial company, or are you working in other ways to partner up with them? So it's, it's not so much us partnering up with them in other ways. Um, the government side of things is largely doing procurement for prototype or executing awards for prototype projects. The thing that we do as a consortium, though, uh, where I kind of uh, also weigh in on it, is we try to make sure that uh, your time is found to be valuable that you put towards the consortium, even without uh, necessarily winning an award for a prototype project. The ways that we do that are we try to host um, events, not only where you can find out maybe what the government has going on in terms of our annual general membership meeting where we bring speakers, uh, both from SSC and from the broader space industry, but also uh, our training events that we host are quarterly. They're going to be, again, I say quarterly now, in the past year has been weird because of COVID, but quarterly in-person uh, business to business development events that we host. Um, and we're really hoping that these teaming events apply not just to the projects you're seeing come down through the solicitation pipeline out of spec, but to broader industry. You've been listening to our coverage of ASEA Nova's recent Space Force IT Day, including a panel hosted by yours truly on the state of the space industrial base. My guests included Brigadier General Stephen Buto, the Space Portfolio Director of the Defense Innovation Unit, Major Adam Burnetta, Program Manager of the Space Enterprise Consortium for the U.S. Space Force, and Hoyt Davidson, Founder and Managing Partner of Near Earth LLC. If you missed any of these segments, you can find the entire show online. Go to federalnewsnetwork.com and search Space Hour. That's it for now. I'm Eric White. We'll see you next month.